Well, hey, everybody, what a special weekend. Um, would you do me a favor and welcome and greet all of our campuses that are with us right now? Uh, all of them are together in our global community around the world. Thank you so much for joining us. I know that by joining us, listen, I know we're on video, but we are joined by more than technology. We are joined by the Word and by the Spirit, and the church is far more than just watching things on screens. We're engaged in the Word. We're engaged in the Spirit, listening and being led by the Spirit. And so today we continue, Pastor Duane and I continue a conversation we began last week on transition, on change, on leadership transition, even Specifically, leadership transition, we're in the process of where both hands are on the baton between Pastor Duane and myself. And interestingly, with some unique circumstances, uh, Pastor Duane is with us. However, he's on Zoom. So, would you do me a favor and greet Pastor Duane and welcome him with us? Hey, everyone. I'm excited about being with you. Uh, thank God for technology. Uh, Sue and I fully intended to be there this weekend, and uh, in one way we're disappointed, but in another, because of the ministry evolving in a positive way with our technology, we're able to be with you still, because this is an important weekend. I uh, just finished a series of conferences with my good friend, uh, Andrew Walmack, and uh, it was just over the top. We were able to do a, a huge conference in the U.K., and minister literally to thousands of people. And then I got to minister for the first time in St. Petersburg, Russia. I have had a heart to go there and made plans to go there years ago, and it just didn't work out. And so I was able to minister to pastors and a conference there and the body of Christ as well. These are such exciting times. I've got so much on my heart, and I don't want to take away from Jacob's outline and and things that he's prepared because it's vital it's important that we have this discussion but i just want to encourage you in your commitment to the church encourage you in your commitment to what god is doing in our world this is an exciting time and everything that's happening at victory life has been in my heart for over 30 years and so i celebrate the young people i'm so excited about another generation stepping up to the plate in this hour let me just say this quickly. I'm seeing signs and symptoms of a third great awakening that I believe the Lord has told me has already begun. And a lot of people misunderstand that. I've even gotten a little bit of criticism lately about, well, the Bible doesn't talk about this third great awakening before the return of the Lord, but a, a time of great deception and falling away that many will fall away from the faith and take heed to seducing spirits. And I just grin real big and say, that's exactly right. And that's what's happening. We are seeing great deception and people's loyalty being committed to everything but Jesus. And even in the church, let me encourage you that in the church, God right now is purging his church. God is chastening us. Judgment begins at the house of God. And we are the house of God. And a judgment not of wrath or anger, or anything of that nature, but the chastening of the Lord is taking place right now. And I'm telling you, there's a dividing line that is supernatural in the church right now. And while I want to see unity and, and I'm committed to unity and all those kind of things, some people are just not going to be loyal to Jesus. They're going to be loyal to everything but Jesus. 
loyal to everything but the word of God. And that's a part of what I'm excited about in regards to these young leaders that God is raising up, not only there in Durant, but in our other locations as well. Because we have to see a generation that is a part of this remnant, because I believe the return of the Lord is nigh, and that there is going to be a great awakening. But like other great awakenings of the past, they're messy. You know, we talk about this great revival and great harvest, but with that will come great opposition. In the last days, there will be a loyalty to Jesus that's going to be incredible, and we will not bow our knee to anything but the lordship of Jesus. And while that's happening, though, listen to me carefully, there'll be a loyalty to Antichrist. Our loyalty to Christ is going to be over the, over the top, off the charts, but there will be a loyalty to Antichrist. So there's going to be this clash. There's going to be this, if you will, opposition to light in the sense of people loving darkness. So while things are looking bad, I get excited. It's like, wow, look at this. The Bible is coming to pass. So everything we're doing is to, is to prepare a generation for this great awakening. Our church, Victory Life Church, is just a microcosm of the universal church. And this, this third great awakening is not just in America. It is worldwide. There is a hunger like I've never seen. There's an acceptance of grace and an understanding of grace and the balance of grace and truth like I've longed to see. And so everywhere I'm going, it's just exciting seeing the response, seeing the hunger, and then again, even the opposition. And so I had a word, I'll quit here, and we'll get into to Jacob's outline, but I had a word a few weeks ago, and this was powerful. I was so excited about it. I've shared it with a couple of great close friends and uh, even shared it with Andrew this week that I was in prayer and meditating, God, where am I? Where are we as a church? And are we pleasing to you? You promised, Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that on the revelation of who Jesus is, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So I'm believing we're gonna build in partnership with Jesus because it's his church. It's not mine, it's not Jacob's. It's not any of the locations. It is the Lord's church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm excited about participating with Jesus. And again, a generation that he's building to facilitate a third great awakening. So the revelation that God gave me that I shared, that I was even going to uh, start a series on it. So now I'm, I'm hesitant, but the Lord gave me the phrase that we need to be a church that is promoting, if you will, the uh, critical grace theory. We are a church that's all about critical grace theory because it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is the hope and healing of the nations. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is the hope of all reconciliation of man every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be reconciled to God by the cross and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are a church that believes in critical grace theory. Well, I get a text today that somebody was on Fox News and they were talking about critical grace theory, how that God has spoken to them. So 
I thought I had something from God directly, but the good news is he must be speaking to a lot of people right now about the power of his amazing grace. So with that said, I want to get into to the things that Jacob has. Can I give a quick shout out, Jake? Can I give a quick shout out to some people there in Durant? Okay, I'm not hearing. Uh-oh. We're I'm here. Hearing, We're here. I'm are. just giving you giving you space, plenty of space to say what you need to say. <laughs> well, I just I just there was a couple and a family uh, Mark and Lindsay Brown and their, their sons, Sam and Ty. I just want to say, I appreciate you so much. You gave me a card, you blessed Sue and I, and it was so encouraging to see again, a, a generation that is recognizing the presence of God and the spirit of God. Their two boys are very young, but they love me. That's a good thing. And they love our church. And I just wanted to say thank you to them. Okay, Jacob, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in seeing uh, and paying attention to what God is doing, we want to see great and mighty things at large-scale levels. We want to see things globally, nationally. But we also are responsible locally that, that God's, the, the church of the Lord Jesus, the capital C church, is one church and yet is made up of these tiny little microcosms all over the world. And the way he's structured that is that he's commissioned leaders to steward responsibility on carrying what he's doing in a local group of people. And sometimes that local group of people is connected to larger groups of people. And in our case, with multiple campuses, we do have many campuses. And there is vision for more campuses, expansion. Got a word just a, few, just a couple months ago about five new churches in the next three years. And I say, oh, okay, Lord, uh, let it be to me according to your word. So there's more we want to see see and what God wants to see and steward through our church. But part of making changes and transition is important that we not grab hold of things that are our preferences, grab hold or clinch with white knuckles, things being possessive, but be open-handed to what Jesus is doing. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17 and 18 in the Message Bible he says this, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. And many pastoral leaders uh, do not steward that authority very well, but, but manipulate people, condemn people, and use people. And that's not our heart, and it never will be our heart. But he says, be responsive, but listen, listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives. We're paying attention to the condition of, of your lives as pastors and all of our campuses that have campus pastors and pastoral ministers, that we're paying attention to what God's doing in your lives, not just in the big scale, but in the small scale. But look at what he continues and say, it, what he says here. They're alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, praise God, not its drudgery, why would you want to make things harder for them? Amen. Pray for us. <laughs> Pray for us. That's what he says. We have no doubts about what we're doing and why, but it's hard going and we need your prayers. All we care about is living well before God. We are committed as a church from its beginning and with the elders and Pastor Dwayne and continuing through 
to be a church that's not just a firecracker in the sky, a short string of uh, awesomeness and amazing things, and then it blows up and is over. But to carry things generation to generation, that many churches, many leaders, many Christians do not think generationally. We all hope and expect the imminent return of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we hope for it. We long for it, is what scriptures say. We long for that. We even cry out for it. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And we believe it's soon, but we also are prepared for it to not be soon. That the church has to prepare as if it's not going to happen for a thousand years. But hope for and pray for and expect it's his imminent return. And so as a church, we're stewarding a work of God, not just in a moment, not just in a season, but from generation to generation. And so in this particular case, in, in what we're talking about last week and this week, is what that just looks like in the middle of the process of leadership transition where Pastor Dwayne, as the senior founding pastor, has a role, and that role includes prayer and the ministry of the word. It includes authority as an elder. It includes accountability, specifically for me, but for our church and for our campus pastors, and oversight over our many campuses so that we can be attentive to what Jesus is doing through his church. And so with, with that, I'm going to pitch it back to you, Dad, about like what in this change and transition, not necessarily about the details of the specific responsibilities. That's just for you get a, just kind of a basic view of what that, that role is. What are you most excited about and what are you most um, emphasizing in this next season with your particular role? Wow. Well, first of all, your, your mic is breaking up just a little bit, but I think I understand all you've said uh, and what you've asked me. Let me go back to the Hebrews 13 quickly. It says and talks about being submissive and responsive to your pastoral leaders, plural. There's just this concept many times that gets in people's minds of this single leader, this single pastor, one person, the pastor. Well, those scriptures are clear that it's pastoral leaders. And one of the things that's near and dear to my heart that we've been working on for, for over three decades is team ministry, that we are a team and we all have yeah. a part to play and we need to find our place and part to play and do it with excellence, do it with the grace that God has given us. And so that's near and dear to my heart. And that's what I'm operating in. What's happening now is such a joy to my heart. When, when Sue and I married, we had to break all negative generational curses. There were no generational blessings it was all generational curses. And so we had to start off dealing with the negative first and, and breaking the bad, stopping the bad. What we're excited about in our personal lives and now in our church is that we're building generational blessings. The blessings of God are generational. The blessings we have in this country were not overnight. They're generational. And if we don't maintain those generational principles, even in the natural, we, barring a supernatural intervention of God, we'll lose our country one day and our freedoms. Well, the kingdom of God is no different. It has to be built. Jesus said, I will build my church. So the things that are near to me right now is I am coming into a season where the word of God is just absolutely coming alive. 
I believe I'm hearing God clearer and clearer. And so I'm enjoying and following God in not only sharing the word and just seeing the, the instant impact of God's word, but I really believe it's on my heart from God to write these books that I'm getting more and more response of the impact of, of, of writing these things down. And one of the things that I didn't think of that God showed me that is my season now of writing is that's generational. Uh, books will last beyond our, our years. And so that's important. Small group, discipling. My heart burns with making disciples. And uh, I love sharing, obviously, from the podium, but I also love developing curriculum now and uh, growth tracks for people to really develop their relationship with the Lord. So there's a lot of things on my heart. And boy, if you used to ask me, well, what's important? I think that's what you said. Your mic broke up. I mean, I just made a short list here and it's overwhelming. Uh, I'm a simple man, but I have a big vision for our church. Uh, I've already mentioned team ministry and infrastructure. It was my greatest weakness. Uh, you have to have new wineskins for new wine. Well, I think new wine's coming. I think there's a wine of the Holy Spirit that is about to be poured out that we better build a new wineskin to hold the wine or Jesus said you'll lose the wineskin and the wine. The church is yeah. just a wineskin that contains the wine of the Holy Spirit. So the church has to has to develop with each generation a wineskin that contains the new wine of God. And yeah. so that's important. Uh, God's grace, obviously, and a generation carrying grace and truth in balance. Our children, my heart burns for our children. There are things being taught our children today, dear ones. I promise you most of the body of Christ is absolutely in the dark about that if, if you was to sit down and see what was being taught to your children at every level, uh, how that Netflix is raising our kids, uh, things taught in our schools that are anti-Bible, anti-moral, anti-God. So our kids and, and reaching our kids, not only am I responsible for that, the generation that's transitioning right now, you're responsible for that for the next generation of kids and what our kids are going to face here in the near future. I am concerned even for our church. We're still asleep. We just don't see the deadliness of the darkness that, that is surfacing right now. And so there needs to be a remnant even among us that is preparing to equip kids in the foundational truths of Jesus Christ. And so I mean, again, I could go on and on forever. Identity, obviously. People think that they know their identity. And when I hear the things being said, even in churches, it's like, don't we know who we are yet? Don't we know we're the bride of Jesus? We're married to Jesus. I'm not married to anything in this world but Jesus. And we got to keep teaching that. So I could just go on forever, and I don't want to take up all the time. <laughs> well, still good stuff. So um, in, in a time of change and transition, that's when, um, in a, like in the example of a baton being passed, one of the most volatile times in that race is the exchange. It doesn't take very long, and, and since it's a metaphor, we don't have this pre-planned period of 
transition and, and both hands being on the baton. Uh, that's something for the Lord to direct our steps. We're confident where we're at. We're confident where we're going. And we're confident the Spirit is leading us step by step. But in that time of change or transition, that baton being passed, that being a volatile time, what would be, Dad, some words you would give both to older generation and younger generation of things to pay attention to, things to be cautious about, or things you would encourage each generation in this working together from generation to generation? Well, that's, that's, that's so heavy, and it's so important, and it takes both generations. And if we don't model this properly now, that's why we're taking our time. I have delegated so many things to Jacob and other leaders within not only our Durant campus, but the big picture. And young people need that opportunity to truly lead, but have that safety net of the older generation with the experience, with the wisdom, with the love. We're supposed to be mature about this. And I just want to say something um, it might be easier to say it not being right there on the stage with you. Uh, I'm slow to say too many positive things about you, Jacob, publicly uh, for reasons people don't understand. It's not that I don't believe in you. It's not that I don't believe and the elders have confirmed that God has called you to this. It's just that father-son thing, and I don't want people to think that I am the one promoting you. I am the one, and I'm proud of my son, and I'm this and that. If your name was anything but sheriff, I'd be singing your praises all over the country. And I'm starting to sing a little bit. Uh, but I know that you and the other young leaders have to be promoted by God, not by me, not by our families and things of that nature. So one of the things I would say to the, to the older generation is, I really believe that you knew Jacob and the leadership team like the elders and I know them. If you would have been able to see Jacob's ability to lead, to train leaders, to communicate, Jacob is three times the man I am and certainly was at his age and stage in ministry. And we should be giving standing ovations to these young people. While young people are falling off the cliff and while young people are all messed up with the drug culture and young people are into all this woke movement and political correctness and damaging philosophies, we have sitting in the midst of us, not only in Durant, but at these other locations, a harvest and seeds of young people that absolutely are profound compared to the young people of my generation. We should be giving them standing ovations. We should be coaching them and thanking God for them and even, even in correcting them, being soft with it and loving with it because we're so grateful. And so those are some of the things that I think are important that the older generation understand. This isn't the time to, to give up or out. This is the time to step up, step out, and encourage these young people in their leadership skills, in their confidence, in their ability to carry what we have labored. There's some things I don't understand about my generation, even in the church. It's like we've all labored to get to this point. We should be celebrating uh, the generational blessings that we've taught for 30 years rather than kind of being concerned about it. There's nothing to be concerned about. I'm excited, and I hope that that helps a little bit. Another thing is the young people have to continue to honor the older people and our wisdom 
and our experience. But the older people, we have to honor the young people's passion, the young people's strength, energy levels. I'm excited somebody else is running this race in areas that that I have ran in times by myself. So I don't know if I answered it totally, but it helped me helped me refocus. I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> we don't often get to have all of our campuses in one setting like this that we've had the last couple weeks. And each of our campuses are at different ages and stages. Um, our, you know, our church as a whole is 34 plus years old, but we have each campus at different ages and at different stages. Um, even to the point where our Stillwater campus is only one year old. Uh, it's, it's a baby. It's brand new. And we work at leading each campus with a uniqueness that I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all, that there is things that a healthy church in a local area needs that might be different than other campuses. But we do get to oversee and lead together and be part of something bigger than ourselves that is spread out and I believe is expanding. So, Dad, with all of our campuses together um, and, and join in this, what are some things you would say, not just to Durant, not just to Sherman from a central campus way, but all of our community campuses that are all in different stages and, and ages? Well, I mean, there's so many things that need to be said, but most important is thank you. Uh, thank you for stepping out. Thank you for being willing to be a, a part of something, again, bigger than yourself. Thank you for receiving the word of God like you've received it, seeing the vision of a passion to transform lives by Jesus. And just that mission statement alone, and then if you start itemizing, well, how do we transform lives by Jesus? Those are the things behind the scenes, and even publicly, we're doing some of it now, that have to go on continually. So I want to encourage every campus to hopefully see our model, and this is the responsibility I feel as a steward. I'm just a steward of these things. None of this is mine. None of this is my vision. I'm a steward of the Lord's vision and we're trying to model these transitions, even in what we're doing now to help you in the future, because every location has to be thinking generational. My original vision for every location was for you to start locations out of your location and that Durant not be the central location or even Sherman. Now, we have to be that way for now. But again, I'm still thinking 30 years out, 40 years out, where will we all be? In 30 years from now, well, some of our campuses will be right where we are right now. We'll be, you know, twice as far down the road. So we have to be led by the Spirit. We have to be open to change and be flexible. Uh, part of Spirit-filled life is learning to be flexible while we make our plans again, God orders our steps. So I pray that I have earned trust with you because trust has to be earned. One of the things that would trouble me if I let it in Durant is I thought people trusted me and, and the elders. And when we make changes, part of knowing us is so you can have that trust that we are praying, we are seeking God, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to encourage every campus to be connected like you've never been connected, value the leadership that God is raising up because it's for all of our benefits. Amen. 
Um, what last piece, uh, Dad, of just encouragement with we are at a unique time, not just in the church, but in our country and in the world. So um, maybe just take a few minutes and well, or longer uh, and just... Uh, just from your heart, uh, that what? Would, <laughs> I recognize that dude. Go ahead. <laughs> Just as a, again, with all of our campuses uh, joined with us, and again, we we have uh, we have people all over the world, even some home churches that have begun. We have we have now built uh, a process, or I should say, we're building a process for people that have joined us through our global community around the world to start home churches. We actually have a process for that, uh, th that we see things happening, not just in the country, but around the world. But, uh, you know, you, you started with where you're at and some of the things you're seeing uh, in, in, your, in the teaching and in where you're at with kind of an awakening around the world. But what would be some encouragements for our church specifically to continue to be a part of that awakening, of that mighty move of God, what are some things for each of our campuses that you would encourage us together and the leadership in being a part of what God's doing throughout the world? Yeah, there again, that's a, that's a series, an entire series. But I think one of the things that if we're for real and, and we really have a, a personal relationship with Jesus where our heart's desire is to meet his good pleasure, to be pleasing to him. And then if we have that same mindset as a church, we want to be pleasing to the Lord. Well, what pleases me in being, I believe, pleasing to the Lord is that we would have the opportunity that we have. I'm not sure people recognize an opportunity that is setting before us that we started in a double wide trailer with just a handful of people. And most of those people are still with us that the ones that aren't either, either went home to be with the Lord or have moved away because of economic, economic needs and things of that, that nature. And so what God has built from a double wide trailer isn't something in the natural and for God to even honor us to be a part, maybe on the forefront of a third great awakening. How many people are still studying the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and how many people in the middle of those awakenings were asleep? How many people lived and died and didn't see God's visitation? Israel missed at large God's visitation. Jesus, God, was in the middle, in the midst of them. And the majority of the Hebrew people missed God's visitation rejected their Messiah. Jesus is visiting the nations right now. Jesus is Lord of the nations. And he, by the Spirit, is dividing sheep nations from goat nations that will be held accountable in the day of judgment. And we have the opportunity, and God has set us up to be a blessing to these cities to be a blessing, not only to save people, but to lost people. You know, lost people want cities that are at peace with one another. Lost people want good schools. Lost people want the things basically that even Christians want. It's just that when we were lost, we weren't willing to go about it God's way. Now that we're saved, we're going about it God's way, but we want the same things at large. And victory has an opportunity 
with the emergence of leaders that we've seen, with the blind skin that we've created, we are positioned to receive the new wine of God and a visitation, a manifested visitation. What a great awakening in the past has been about is a revelation of Jesus and people sensing the presence of God. Leaders of, of, of other great awakenings would go into businesses and people would just begin to weep. People would just begin to sense the presence of God and weep. Man, that, that things like that are coming and we need to be in a place to receive it. Amen. I want to also maybe even say some things about where we're going because where we're going is a continuation of where we've been, where when you go from generation to generation, there are things that need to be carried forward. There are ideas or, or foundational elements that need to be carried forward. How those things take place, how they're done uh, is often changing. Those don't just change generation to generation. Sometimes those change season to season. And uh, before I, I go into maybe some of those things, Dad, and kind of some closing thoughts from you, what are some, some things you just see on the horizon that excite you, that energize you for our church? Well, first of all, in my introduction, uh, you weren't able to see my tie. And so I just want to say thank you to families that have sacrificed for my freedom. And, and we have a generation coming up that doesn't value freedom, that doesn't value the liberties and the, and the things that other generations sacrifice for that this generation at large takes for granted. The church can be the same, the same way. And so I just want to thank those that are among us at, at Durant, especially even Sherman, and the birthing of that campus, the other campuses, great sacrifices have been made to bring us to where we are. And we have to explain this to the young people and the sacrifices they're going to have to make to get us to where we need to be. Each generation has different sacrifices that have to be made for freedom. In the church, there are some things I see coming that if, if we don't sure these things up and we don't understand sacrifice, we don't understand, again, loyalty to Jesus and, and, and passion for his word, the things I see on the horizon, unfortunately, can be very destructive. Sin is destructive at large, and it's always been in the world. Corruption's always been here. I mean, I got to share and fellowship with some people this week on, on in the 1700s, how the national media uh, falsely reported that George Washington regretted the revolution, regretted seceding from Great Britain. Well, evidently the media was a, as corrupt in the 1700s as they are today, because I can assure you George Washington did not regret the revolution <laughs> or seceding from Great Britain. And yet that was in the national media. And I guarantee you there were people as deceived then as there are people deceived today. 
And so the things that concern me on the horizon is the destruction of the family and the family unit. If we don't focus on children and family, the consequences can, can absolutely be devastating. And the church is responsible to minister the covenant of marriage, minister the understanding of, of male and female, how that an attack on gender, male and female, is literally an attack on the gospel. And I even have Christians that have no idea what I just said, how that male and female were created by God. Your gender is not fluid and it's not under your decision. God makes that decision and there's a purpose for that decision. And part of that decision and the reason he made a male and female was for marriage. So the collapse of marriage is, is concerning not only for the church, but for society, because the nuclear family is the is the is the unit that provides civil um, uh, relational connectivity in a horizontal way in every community. So that's something I see. Number two, again, is just outright deception. If, if we can't see my generation, some of you that are sitting there that are older, you get upset with me sometimes when I try to point out deception in our culture. And I'm not attacking anyone or anything, but if we don't recognize deception, we, we fall prey to it. And worse yet, the innocent fall prey to it and the young fall prey to it. So we have to be vigilant about truth. The Everything that's going on, I love you guys, every one of you. Uh, maybe some people have hijacked even this this signal, hallelujah, and, and, and you're listening in. But I'm just telling you, everything that's happening in our world right now, I can make it so simple. It, it is a war between truth and lies. Truth and lies. And if we don't commit as a community to the truth, the way, the life, Jesus Christ and him crucified, we will be deceived in these last days. I do see on the horizon serious things that can deceive and destroy. We can't get the simple things right. We won't be prepared for the complex things. So those are some things that I see on the horizon that we're positioning ourselves and a generation to be able to be a refuge for people. I'm telling you, saints, there's a great awakening coming, and we have to build for it. We have to prepare for it. We have to plan for it. We have to get excited about it. And, and we have to be willing now to sacrifice whatever it takes to be a part of it. Because I don't think we can even build buildings big enough for the harvest that's coming in. Because I'm telling you, people are waking up like I've never seen in my lifetime. Something's up, and I think it's God. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. And he said another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. 
The kingdom of God often begins in small seed form. Almost always it's in small uh, seed form. It's in leaven. It's something that almost is imperceptible. It can't be seen very clearly with the naked eye. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but sown in the right ground, the word of God sown into the right ground or placed in the right lump, it leavens the whole lump. And what we believe isn't just in seeing people transformed by Jesus. That's where it begins. That's the seed is the person, the individual. But what we are after in seeing people transformed by Jesus is seeing cities transformed by Jesus. Seeing states transformed by Jesus. Seeing countries, plural, part of the Great Commission is to not just go preach the gospel, that's Mark 16, and it's not just make disciples, Matthew 28, of individuals. It says make disciples of nations. We do that by you being transformed by Jesus. And so part of what we believe and what we work for, what we're after as a church, isn't just great services, though we're after great services. Isn't just something that is spectacular, that is a spectacle, that is obvious and seen. It's also the small supernatural, the seed that goes into your heart. And if you haven't seen what it looks like for someone who's been addicted to drugs or pornography or alcohol gets set free and what that kind of freedom and deliverance looks like, you might have grown cold. You might think this is about you. When you can see families restored where a couple's on the brink of divorce or they come from broken marriages and now are wanting to start fresh seeing that kind of transformation in the family, that small seed has generational effect. There are some kingdom seeds that you don't see its fullness in one generation. And it's important not to abort a seed when it's only partially grown. And as a church, again, centrally, Durant, 34 years, but Stillwater, one year, Many other campuses are just a few years old where things are small and they're seed form. It's important that you know as a church, we're committed to this for the long haul until Jesus comes back, which we hope to be soon. We think it might be soon, but we're also prepared as if it's not. To see that full grown tree from generation to generation. And it's important in stewarding that, that we keep an eye, not just on the big, but on the small. That every single Weekend service matters. Every single prayer at the altar matters. Every single life group conversation, it matters. And it's small little seeds that end up transforming something far more than just individuals. The kingdom of God will always begin at an individual level, but it has no intention on just remaining there. Every life has impact. Every life has a realm of influence. And Jesus, in being the savior of the world, doesn't just save individuals for individual's sake, but from generation to generation. And we, as a church, as a whole, maybe not specific campuses, but we have the, the privilege and honor of being built on a solid foundation that gets to be built upon so with that, Dad, with that thinking and the, the seeds growing, which, what, what are the things with that revelation, integration, and transformation? 
um, seeing people transformed by Jesus, seeing cities transformed by Jesus. As we close, I want to give you uh, a chance for some final thoughts on, on how you see things continuing and the things that, that really in your role right now as senior founding pastor are getting to drill down on and spend time on. Well, the, the one phrase you said that alarms me is final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> not final, final. Can, it's not your final, I can, finally. I don't think I can have final thoughts on anything. <laughs> but 34 years ago, Sue and I were a seemingly insignificant seed that was sown into rent. I'm so sorry. Soon I were a seemingly insignificant seed that was sown and we had to die. But in the dying, life came forth, Victory Life. What if Victory Life, thousands of people now, what if God is calling us in a generational shift where we are the seed that has to die that life might come in measures we can't even dream about. Think about what one seed, Sue and I, being sown and the tree that has grown and the refuge people have found. What if we can collectively do something I don't see churches do? What if we could quit fussing and fighting again and murmuring and complaining about everything and get a glimpse of a big picture and be willing to be a seed sown? One of the things that I'm going to teach, and I'm excited about it, I've actually had it on my heart for four years. And that is, we talk about the seed and the importance of the seed, and we should. The Bible makes it clear, the power of the seed. But I'm going to teach you soon how that the seed is sown in the ground, and it's the ground that produces the harvest. In the ground is corn, but there has to be a seed planted in the ground and the ground produces and bears corn. The corn was in the ground, but the seed activated what was in the ground. Everything was there in Durant in your hearts and in your lives and in your family's lives. And you are now what the ground has produced because the seed activated it. I believe we're going to see seed, time, and harvest. I shared this at the beginning of the year. God has been showing me he's going to speed up seed, time, and harvest, and there's ground out there that has fruit in it. Oak trees are in the ground out there. Sow an oak seed, and you'll see an oak tree. Corn is in that ground. Tomatoes are in the ground. The ground has everything. Your hearts are the ground. Everything God needs to change this world is in your ground. It's in your heart. And we are responsible to sow seeds in there to bring forth the fruit that's already in your heart, in your ground. And I'm going to be teaching Amen. on some of these things. And this is what I see happening. I believe there's enough of us that are sold out like that first hardcore group was. 30 or 40 people. <laughs> that's all it was. Sold out to doing something different. Doing something that we know pleases Jesus, and we were willing to sacrifice for that. And I believe we're going to see something great coming. And my part 
And my role is going to expand now in getting you good seed, getting you good word, getting you a word, a fresh word from God that'll activate whatever's in your ground to come forth and change your life, your children's lives, and your grandchildren's life, and ultimately our cities. Amen. In conclusion, I want to tell you a story of something that seemed really simple, um, a small seed of generations working together. When I was 20 years old and a youth pastor, I was new to, to that, and I've got, I don't know, 20 teenagers that are teenagers. And just not certain, like, man, God, what are you calling us to do, and, and what, what am I to do in all of this? What is my responsibility in this? I'm fresh to this. I'm new to this. And um, there was an elderly gentleman that shuffled into my life. At the time, I was 20 and he was 80. A man by the name of Morris Means so deeply impacted my life. It cannot be measured and he has no clue the impact he had on my life when he died. For the next four years, this man that was 80 years old when when he came into my life, I say shuffled into my life. I mean that affectionately, but I mean it literally. 60 years difference in age. He has no title, no position, not even relationship. What he had was a word from God. And he came in on one Wednesday night before service and I thought he was lost. And I went up to him and said, can I help you? And he says, I'm looking for Jacob Sheriff. I'm like, well, uh, that's me. So what's up? I'm not certain what's going to happen here. And he looked at me in the eye and he says, God told me to come pray for you, that I'm to be here to pray for you. This man wasn't a profound teacher. He wasn't gifted with some spectacular gifting that was impressive. And most people didn't even know who he was. This was in Sherman, and I believe many people in our Sherman campus knew him, and uh, a few of you here in Durant, but no one in any of the other campuses probably knew him, would know his name. You, he wouldn't have stood out in a crowd. He would have been an elderly gentleman. And yet, for the next four years, he showed up nearly every Wednesday, and about once every other month, he would take me to Cracker Barrel, and we would eat beans and cornbread, and talk about the Lord Jesus. This man knew Jesus. He didn't just smell like mothballs. He smelt like the presence of God. You knew this man was bathed in the presence of God, that he was a man of prayer. And he didn't wait for some title position. He didn't even wait for an invitation. I wouldn't have known that I needed what he could give me. And yet... Because he listened to the Lord, he had one of the greatest impacts in my life and just gave me time. He wasn't critical. He didn't talk about how immature I was, how stupid I was, how ridiculous my generation is, how selfish my generation is. He didn't even talk about how bad my preaching was. <laughs> he simply encouraged me and prayed for me and was there. And someone completely outside of eldership, some outside of our usual family network, just shuffled into my life and four years sowed seeds that now over 
12 years after his death, I'm just starting to see some of the fruit of what he poured into my life for four years. And I'm asking an older generation, stop griping about young kids. Stop griping or complaining about a younger generation. I'm asking you, a generation is desperate for you. They don't know it. There is an orphan spirit that has plagued my generation. They don't know they need you. They need you. They need your stories. Maybe not the same one 50 times over, but they need your stories. Oh, come on. (laughs) They need to be believed in. They don't need a talking to. They need believed in. They need encouraged. Yes, they need counseled. Yes, they need admonished. In some cases, they need corrected. But if I hadn't experienced that, that level of relationship of someone who didn't have a title, didn't have a position, but he had time and prayer that he gave to me, that now our church is reaping the benefits of what he sowed in secret for four years into my life. Do not think that because you are whatever threshold of age you are, I don't know what the threshold of old is. The older I get, the more cautious I am about putting a number on it. You're still here and people need you. In any and all of our campuses, old doesn't mean now useless, purposeless. You have a purpose and it may just be a relationship. And 60 years of age difference didn't keep that man from me. Nothing in the natural we had connected. And yet, when he died, within a few months, I could feel his lack of prayers for me. And I went to elderly individuals and I said, I need you to pray for me. I didn't know I needed this. I need you to pray for me. Those small seeds that you can still sow matter. They matter to an entire generation. And this is how we work together. This is how we do this together. It's not trying to fight for what we want, not trying to get our preferences met, not complaining about each other, but by investing into simple relationship through prayer, through conversation, through connection, not through position and title, not through influence, through however means of influence you think you get, not even by profound giftedness but simple relationship, simple prayer, simple connection. Life groups don't have to be age-specific. It would do a bunch of 20-year-olds well for you that are in your 80s to be in their life group. You might not be able to play, you know, football, (laughs) but you can pray for them. You might smell like mothballs, but you need to smell like the presence of God. So in dismissal, Dad, would you pray, speak a blessing over our campuses and over our church? I'll, uh, I'll pray and then I'll let you speak the blessing. You know, I started that blessing 30-something years ago, even of the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, et cetera, et cetera. And over the years, literally thousands of people have thanked me for that felt that, like what you're saying, looked forward to that. And now I've seen you and the other young leaders not only embrace that, but take it to another level. 
And so I'll, I'll pray, and then I would like you to speak the blessing over us, because that's how blessings are transferred to our children, to each generation, is speaking the word of the Lord over each other. So, Father, first of all, I thank you for our campuses. I thank you for the vision for cities, that each campus is vital, important to the purposes of God, and preparing for this third great awakening that I believe has already begun. And so I bless them, Father. Thank you for Durant and the sacrifices Durant and Sherman have made in birthing other locations and sowing gifts. You know, I remember when everybody thought somebody was taking a gift from them, and now we've come to a place where we're sowing gifts. We're sowing other ministry gifts into other locations. This is a sign of maturity. This is a sign of development. This is a symptom that's a good symptom. And so I continue to pray that more would transfer from immaturity to maturity and really bless and help the immature that will always have, that will always be coming into the church. Thank you for today's service, Father. I'm warmed in my heart. I feel the pleasure of Jesus in my heart. And so I thank you for these things in, in your name, Lord. Amen. Before I dismiss the campuses, I do want to bless you with the blessing from number six that the Lord told, Moses through the Lord told Aaron, when you speak this blessing, so shall you put my name on my people. That as you're blessed, you're blessed, not just in the name of Jesus, but with the name of Jesus. And so the Lord Jesus bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And may he keep you as the good shepherd. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you the light of the glory of the knowledge of God. And that he extend his grace that is power in our weakness to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, that you sense his good pleasure in you, that when he looks at you, he sees his son with delight that you are the beloved. And may he give you peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.